Praise the Lord. We're glad to be in the house of God today, those that are in-house and those that have joined us on live feed. Thank you so much for being with us. We've got several that are out. You're in-house. You can look around and see there's a lot out today. Uh, we've got several that are sick. We want to be much in prayer for them. Those that have joined us on live stream, thank you so much for being with us. We want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to touch and minister in our Sunday school class today. We want to continue to be praying for those that are sick. We do have many connected to the church that are sick. We want to keep them in our prayers. Let's bow our heads and let's pray and ask God to touch and minister in our Sunday school classes today. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today again. Thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity that you've allowed us to come to worship and praise you. Father, today I pray that you'll move and minister in a mighty way in our Sunday school classes today. Touch every teacher as they bring forth your word today. Touch the hearts and lives of each student that's here. Uh, touch our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to comprehend your word today. We forever give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're delighted to be in the house of God today for our Sunday school class. Uh, the title of our theme that we've been going through uh, the title of our theme that we've been going through is The Church. The Church. Remember, if you're on our live stream, you can visit the website listed below, and you can go to the Sunday School lesson, and it'll be outlined there for you. Uh, but the title of our theme has been The Church. Uh, the Church. We understand when we refer to the church, we're referring to you and I, the congregation, us as individuals. Uh, that's what we're referring to. We're referring to the church as a group of lo a local congregation. That is what the church is. Uh, yes, the church is a worldwide reach where they can reach out and reach onto the mission field and reach others for the lost. Uh, and that's that's what we're primary our our function is here for. And so last Sunday was our first lesson in this in the church, uh, the, the church unit, and we've been talking about what the foundation of the church is. We understand that without the, the cross of Jesus Christ, without the blood being shed on Calvary, we understand that that's the basis of our foundation. And without that, we have nothing. We'd come together as just a social club. Uh, if we did not have the blood of Christ, we could all meet down at Brother Larry's dock and go fishing and, and have a good old time. But we have, we could still do that anyway, but we have the, our foundation of our faith is the blood of Jesus Christ as a remission of our sin, and that is what our foundation of the church is. This morning, we're going to be talking about our Sunday school lesson is the Spirit-empowered church, the Spirit-empowered church. Uh, that is a key factor in what we must understand about the church. The Holy Spirit empowers the church for effective ministry. Uh, the Holy Spirit brings boldness. The Holy Spirit brings wisdom. The Holy Spirit brings understanding. And there is a uh, thought process, especially among many Pentecostals, that if you do not have the emotional outside effects of, quote, the Holy Spirit moving, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, that's an incorrect assumption. The Holy Spirit works, starts on the inside, and works through to the outside. I would rather have the functionality of the Holy Spirit moving in my life 
than have an emotional outburst of the Holy Spirit. We must understand the Holy Spirit moves and changes our lives, and He empowers the church for effective ministry. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. And so we must understand that. We also need to know that when today what we're going to focus on is studying the life of the New Testament church and how the New Testament church participated in a spirit-empowered congregation. The New Testament church was a church that allowed the Holy Spirit to move and empower the congregation. Today, many congregations, uh, I've said this before, and I'm not trying to be ugly about this, not trying to point any fingers about this, but we have noted there's things out of the Bible that Jesus would have taught, that Jesus did teach, Jesus did preach, that would not be acceptable in church congregations today. And so we've got to understand that we want the biblical principles of the Word of God in our congregations to participate in a spirit-empowered congregation. I do not draw the lost. Me, myself, and I, I don't draw the lost. I don't, I don't, there's nothing that I can do that's going to cause somebody to get saved. We all understand that the Holy Spirit, He is who draws the lost people to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us if I, Jesus was saying that, if I be lifted up, I, Jesus Christ, will all draw all men unto myself, Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's about lifting Him up to the world around us. We must understand that in the life that we're living. Take a look at Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. We started in this last Sunday and we started talking about the Holy Spirit. Everybody that's been at Coosa Valley Church of God for at least a year knows I love Pentecost Sunday. That's my favorite. Everybody, people like Christmas, people like Easter, people like Valentine's. I love Pentecost Sunday. To me, that is the birthday of the New Testament Pentecostal church. Take, and, and I also love throwing this in here that that is the birth date of the Christian community. And guess what? That means all denominations, Christian denominations, stemmed out of that day. And so everybody has a root in Pentecostal movement. Whether or not they follow that today or not, that's, that's the different ballgame. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Uh, everybody this last month had to run their heat extra because it got so cold. Got down to 10 degrees. Wind chill factor got down to 7 degrees in some cases. Lower than that on others. And so as a result, everybody's power bill went up this last month. I know some uh, businesses and entities and churches, their power bill went up $1,000. Some people, their home power bill went up. It doubled. And so everybody's power bill, for the most part, went up. What came with that? With the power bill came the heat, 
came, you get to turn your TV on, you get to turn the lights on. There is an end result of getting that electricity or that power from Alabama Power, Coosa Valley Power, whichever one it is. We, ha we have lights today because we have that power from the electrical company. There is an end result in that in that in receiving that. And so the scripture says in verse 49, stay until the, in the city until you are clothed, you have received that power from on high. Jesus has instructed the believers to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. They did that. They did that. Before attempting to do anything else, they waited for the Holy Spirit to come and fill them, anoint them, and equipped them to be effective in ministry for the kingdom of God. I cannot do anything, you cannot do anything without being equipped by the Holy Spirit to allow us to move, allow us to operate, allow us to be effective in the ministry. The mission of the church at that time, as is today, the mission of the church is very urgent. Believers need the Holy Spirit to empower them to carry out the Great Commission. The Great Commission was given by Jesus Christ to do what? Told us to go. I would be remiss to ask, I don't even know if I want to ask, but how many people, don't answer this out loud because I'd be afraid of what the answers are, we could ask ourselves, whether you're in-house or on our live feed, or you're watching uh, watching the watching the services later, listening to the podcast, whatever the case is, you ask yourself, in the last seven days, in the last 14 days, how many people have you invited to church? I remember going when I was growing up, and I was in Sunday school class. And, I was, uh, and Brother Emery, you probably remember this. Sister June Ann, I'm sure you do, do as well. Uh, in Sunday school class, they would ask, did ever, who brought your Bible? And everybody, we would, we'd raise our hand and we'd tell the teacher we brought our Bible. And they'd mark that down. And, and then they would ask, uh, how, many, uh, how, many, uh, uh, how many prayer requests do you have? And different ones, they'd tell their little prayer request. And I remember in Sunday school, we'd, some would be praying, pray for my mom and my dad. Pray for, pray for my sister. She's mean. Pray for my brother. He's mean. In Sunday that's the things, that's what we would say in Sunday school. And then what was the, one of the very last questions they would ask was, how many contacts did you have? How many contacts did you have? And so we had, we had guests sometimes, and they'd ask, well, what is that? Contacts is, how many people did you connect with over this last week and invite them to church? How many people did you connect with over this last week and tell them about Jesus? And we always got little golden stars if we had at least one. Or we got a golden star in our teenager's classroom if we had at least five or whatever the case was. And then at the end of that quarter, that 13 weeks, if you had a star on every week, you got a prize. It might be uh, some cookies, Brother Larry. I did it every week for the cookies. I wanted the cookies. I mean, whatever it may have been, you got a prize for that. Well, maybe we bring that back. Maybe we bring that back, not just in the kids' classes, but in the adults' classes as well. How many people did you invite? How many people did you connect with? How many people did you talk to about Jesus? How many people did you invite to church? 
And if ever if you do that every week, you'll get a cookie at the end of the week. Brother Larry, you want a cookie at the end of the end of the quarter? You you want a cookie? Okay, I'm gonna buy you a pack of them little bee Oreos. How's that? Oh boy. <laughs> But what we've got to understand is we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to effectively carry out that great commission. I've had people over the years, they'll tell me, oh, I didn't invite somebody because I'm, I'm shy. I don't talk to people. I'm shy. I don't do this. I'm shy. I, don't. I was, nobody ever believes me. Just nearly nobody believes me. I used to be shy. Do you believe that? Did you, do you believe I used to be shy? <laughs> she said it's kind of hard to believe but when when I got saved there was a change when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit there was a change in my life as the church grows and as the church flourishes as people start going out and they start making an influence in the community and the world around them ministries expand in those things let me let me let me let me show you. Let me share with you. Everybody in here understands this, but I'm going to share this anyway because this is something we really need to operate with and we need to understand. I have people all the time tell me they'll come to the church, they'll come to Coosa Valley. We're a, I understand. I get it. We're a small country church. We're we're a country. We're a, uh, we're not. We don't have we don't have 500 people in church, right? But here's what people need to realize. In the state of Alabama, the average congregation in the church of God, the average congregation is 70 to 75. That's the average size of a congregation. I have looked at the Baptist Association. Guess what? St. Clair County, St. Clair County has 66 or 67 Baptist churches. Their average number in attendance in those churches is 70. The average attendance or the average size of churches is churches in the United States of America, the average size is about 100, between 70 and 100. Some people will say, well, what about XYZ church that's running 800. What about this church that's running that's running 2,000? What about this church that's running 5,000? Those are the outliers. Those are the exceptions. When you average everything together, you're getting in Alabama about churches that running about 70. I, I tell you that to make a point. Ministries inside the church need people to operate, right? You can't have a nursery if you don't have people in there to operate it, right? We wouldn't want to just drop all the kids and all the babies off in the nursery and there'd be nobody in there, right? We want somebody in those in those in those areas. I have I'm I'm laying a foundation here because we need to understand there's a spirit empowered church. I'll have people they'll say, Well, so and so came to came to Coosa Valley, but they're they've left and they've gone to XYZ church because they wanted a ministry for their kids. They wanted this and they wanted this. We have ministries for the kids. We have ministries for the nursery. We have ministries for the students. We have those ministries, but if people are not willing to stay and help grow those ministries, there's where the issue is at. Does, does that make sense? Does that, does that operate 
everybody understand it. This church is running actually a little above the state average. We're running a little above the state average. But people are trying to go to a ex, a bigger church, the ones that's running a thousand, because they want to go in and they they here's what happens a lot of times, and this is I know it's gonna sound ugly. People will go to that because they don't want to have to do anything. Here's my thought process, and this is the way I've always been, this is the way I've been raised. Any church I go to, I know that I've been the pastor of, of churches for the last I've been the, the lead pastor of churches for the last 13, 14 years. But guess what? When I go to a church, I want to do something. I've always wanted to go in and I want to do something. And I'm so proud to know that the that biggest majority of the people that comes to this church, they want to do things. Amen? I have people come to me and they want to do stuff. Ministries need people. Ministries need people to engage that local community. We, as a congregation, we reach out into the community and we do things in the community. We're part, we help with, with Ann's New Life. We help with other areas in the community. Why? Because we want to be a part of the community. Amen? And that's where the church, the church has to do those things. What we've got to understand, it's not about, we're not, we're not in a competition with each other. As churches, we're spirit-empowered churches to do what? To reach the lost in the community. Key to identifying those individuals inside the churches that are wanting to do things is talk, looking at the individual's reputation within the community to know can they operate, can they do things, can, do they have the talent, the connections, education, the charisma. And when I say education, I'm not talking about they got a Ph.D. past their name. I know people with Ph.D.s that ain't got good walking around sense. Does, that make, does anybody know what, that, what I'm talking about when I say that? Brother Emery does. He grinned. What we've got. What we've got to understand is we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us to church those around us. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Taking a look and knowing that, let's take a look at Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49, and then Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Luke chapter 24. 46 through 49, and then Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Let's take a look at what, what this is telling us this morning. Start off with Luke chapter 24, 
46 through 49. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 46 through 49. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. We find that in John chapter 20 and verse 22, John 20 and 22, Jesus has already breathed on the apostles, the disciples, telling them to be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on in uh, John, or back in John chapter 14 and verse 17, he promised them that the Spirit would be in them. In his physical address with the believers, God would remain with them through the Spirit and they would be empowered to be triumphant in a world that opposed them in every step of the way. I mentioned something in the last couple of weeks. Go, If you don't remember, go back and watch some of the services. I've mentioned something in the last couple of weeks. And I said, and I believe it was last Sunday morning. But I mentioned this and I said, if the devil is attacking you, the devil's trying to tear you down, you're on the right side of things. Why? Because the devil's not coming against who he's already got. If the devil don't like you, you're doing something right. But we also must understand that just because bad things are happening in our life does not mean it's the devil's fault. People blame things on the devil and the devil didn't do a thing. Does that, does that make sense? Do you know who makes more messes than the devil? I do. Do, do. do you understand what I'm saying? When I get involved in things and I am trying to do things outside the will of God, then I mess up things and the devil didn't do nothing to it. What we've got to realize and understand, when we get involved with trying to show God, tell God, hey, I want you to do it this way when we're outside the will of God, God, and God has, you're told God to take a step back, and I am running things, bad things are bound to happen. I've heard too many times people in the church world, they'll come to me and they'll say, oh, the devil sure is on me because of this, 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 and this. Y'all remember the story I've told about the, about the lady several years ago. It's probably been 20-something years ago. lady came, came up for prayer on a Wednesday night and then said, Brother Andy, uh, my the devil sure is messing up. He's he caused my blood sugar to run high. I went to the doctor on Monday, and my blood sugar was through the roof. It was over, it was over four hundred. It was over five hundred, and it was pretty bad. It was real bad. You need to be praying. I'm going back to the doctor tomorrow, and if it's not down, they're going to have to do this. They're going to have to do this. Be praying. Be praying. And I told her, I said, I'll be praying your sugar comes down, but I'm also going to be praying for your elbow. My elbow. What's that mean? I said, we just, had, we just had homecoming at the church this past Sunday, and I seen how many dessert plates you walked past me with. Your sugar was high, not because of the devil. The sugar was high because your elbow didn't stop bending. And she just looked at me awful funny. But you think about that. Did the devil make her blood sugar go up? No. What made her blood sugar go up? 
of that, yes, all that banana pudding she was eating herself. Well, I have walked through the house before at night without turning the lights on, and I've stubbed my toe. Did the devil make me stub my toe? No. What made me stub my toe? I didn't turn the lights on, and I stubbed my toe because I kicked the end table. Do, do you follow what I'm saying? The devil does not have as much power as we give him credit for. The Bible tells us plainly, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We need to quit giving the devil credit and give God more credit. Amen? What we've got to realize is Jesus has given us power from on high. It's time that we use it. So let's go on into this. We, we, or let, let's back up. Let's just talk about this one more time. In the physical absence from the believers, God remains with us through the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to be triumphant in a world that opposes us in every step of the way. One of the churches we was at, I had a lady come to me, and she said, she said, can I ask you a theological question? I got really scared, but I said, go ahead. This was her response. She said, my house burnt down a couple of months ago. I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. She said, do you think I was living in sin? I said, well, ma'am, I, I didn't know you a couple of months ago, and it's not my place to tell you if you was in sin or not. She said, no, I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, in your view of the Bible, just because my house burnt down, does that mean I'm living in sin? I said, well, absolutely not. Why, why would you think that? And she told her, she said, she's been told that her whole life is that when bad things happen, that means she's living in sin. I, I, I told her, I said, the Bible actually tells us it rains on the just and the unjust alike, right? Did y'all know it was raining this morning outside? Yes. It's raining on the saved and the unsaved. Bad things do happen to saved people. Bad things do happen to Christians. Christians can still get flat tires. Christians can still, you know, have a nail in our tire. Christians can still have bad things, bad reports from the doctor. Bad things do happen. What we've got to understand is we're going to be triumphant in this world if we hold on to God and the Holy Spirit. Amen? So let's go on. After Jesus ascended into the heavens, he did not leave the believers as orphans. John chapter 14 and verse 18. Instead, Jesus tells them that he is sending the promise of the Father to them and they need to tarry or they need to wait until the promise has been given. If I told you, okay, last Sunday, I told this congregation that at the end of service, I would have a, I had a gift or I had something to give to everybody here that last, last Sunday, right? Told everybody, I have something to give you. Everybody stayed. Everybody stayed through the altar service. And if you stayed and you was here last Sunday and you stayed, guess what? You got a gift, didn't you? You, was, you got a free meal at one of the local restaurants in town that was given to the church to give to the congregations, to the excuse me, to the congregation. 
what we've got to understand is I'm going to wait. If I'm going to get something, I'm going to hang out and wait a little bit. I'm going to hang out. Why? Because I want what the promise that I've been given. We've been, in, we've been promised power from on high. We need to hang out and wait for it. I'm going to wait for it. Amen? So let's go on. There's a supernatural empowerment. A supernatural empowerment. Take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, my favorite two words, and suddenly. The doctor gives you a bad report. And suddenly something changes. Things, bad things are happening in our lives. And suddenly things are changed around. They tarried, they waited, they was there together. Verse 2, and suddenly there came, a, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The disciples, the eleven, the eleven, because remember Judas, Judas went out into the field and he hung, he hung himself. They replaced the 11 disciples or apostles, replaced Judas with Mathis. They voted, they rated, they replaced him with Mathis, Mathesis. And then they continued in prayer. 120 went into the upper room, 50 days following Passover. The Feast of the Weeks is observed, and they're there in the upper room. This holy feast was instituted by the law. They were celebrating as a part of the Jewish customs and traditions the wheat harvest during which the first fruits were dedicated to the Lord. The New Testament calls this time frame Pentecost, the 50th, 50 days after, after, uh, after the first day of Passover. On the Christian calendar, Pentecost is observed on the Sunday following the seventh week after Easter Sunday. Luke records the Pentecost had finally arrived. Luke, uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, Luke wrote, When the day of Pentecost arrived, 120 believers were in the upper room seeking God's direction. They were in one mind one accord in one place focused on one thing. They was not trying to clip their fingernails. They was not making a grocery list. They was not worried about the meatloaf that was in the oven. They was seeking God. They was praying, and they was focused on God moving in their lives. They was in one accord in one place. They was there in a place of spiritual unity and spiritual agreement. When people come to an altar for prayer, the only stipulation I have of people coming into the altar with them to pray is you need to be in agreement for whatever that person needs. It don't matter what they need. If you're in agreement with that God's going to move in their lives, 
then let's get a hold of God together in a time of prayer. Amen? Abruptly, they heard a sound like a great wind blowing through the house where they were gathered. They was there in a time of prayer or a time of study of the scriptures. They were alerted by the sound of wind blowing. I've been in this sanctuary before at, at, at night, sometimes when no, you know, when nobody else is here, but there be a wind, a, the wind blowing real strong outside. You can hear the wind blowing, and it'll it'll blow. And because this is a metal metal building, it's a butler building. You hear the wind blow, and it'll get in, and it'll get up in here, and and you're like, wow, that's a strong wind outside. You look out the windows, and and the and the trees are just flapping. They heard a sound of a mighty rushing wind. The, then also, it tells us that on in verse three that they saw individual flames of fire, tongues of fire, shot out and sat upon each of them. Each of them does not mean each of the apostles only. It says each of them. Luke has already noted that the total number of people was 120. Therefore, each of them means 120 believers. If I'm going to hand a cough drop to each one that's here in this sanctuary right now, does that mean I'm only handing it to those that are over the age of 30? No. Does it mean that I'm only giving it to the guys? No. Does it mean I'm only giving it to the girls? No. It means I'm giving one to each person that is in this sanctuary. The Holy Spirit was given to each one that was in the room that day. This is a manifestation, an actual auditory and visual manifestation of the promise of the Holy Spirit of God. Please note and please understand, when the Holy Spirit moves, it does not mean that it's got to be loud and boisterous. The Holy Spirit also moves in a quiet way. The Bible talks about in the quietness of the time, the Holy Spirit can move. The Holy Spirit moves in a loud auditory way like we see here. The sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the house. And then they seen cloven tongues as of fire resting. There is an auditory and a visual manifestation. All of the believers needed the empowerment. Why? Because they needed a boldness from God to go out and do the ministry that God had called them to do. You've got to remember, Jesus was just crucified. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He has just ascended to the heavens. The Roman, the Roman soldiers and the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they're trying to find these disciples. They want them killed. Why? Because the religious leaders are saying, oh, they stole the body of Jesus. They put it somewhere so that we can't find it, so that they can say he arose. The religious leaders of the day are upset because these disciples, this rogue element, is upsetting the apple cart of the religious establishment. It's time the religious establishment, even of today, has an upset apple cart. Amen? 
It's, it does not need to be the status quo. Well, this is what we've always done. No, we need to quit doing the quit doing that, and let's get into a biblical aspect of things. Amen. We need to get back to the Word of God. We need to get back to a move of God. And I'm thankful that Coosa Valley has that in our mindset. It's not about what everybody else is doing. We want God to move. Amen? That's what it's all about. The primary purpose of the baptism of the Spirit was not to enable them to speak in tongues, although tongues was the initial evidence that they had been filled. People today... In Pentecostal movements, they even believe, even today, they say, oh, that the that baptism in the Holy Spirit, the primary function is speaking in tongues. That's not the case. The, the initial evidence is the speaking in tongues, but the primary purpose of the baptism of the Spirit was to empower believers to be an effective witness of Jesus Christ in the world around us. If I'm an effective witness of Christ in the world that I'm living in, that was the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit to move, not only then, but also today. That's the function. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is a call to share the gospel. It's not a call to go just do any old thing, but it is a call to go do something. It is a specific thing that we are to do. We are to go and tell others the love of God. We're to go tell others about Jesus Christ. Move on down to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. We're talking about a, a spirit-empowered church. A spirit-empowered church. I was talking this morning. Everybody started getting here. A couple of us was in the in the building, and we was just talking about how how that uh, how certain churches operate. How ch the, just a general statement. I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand if you know the answer or anything. I'm just asking these questions just to just to get you to think about something. Whose job or whose responsibility is it to go visit the sick in the hospital? Whose job or responsibility? In the, as far as the church community is concerned, is it to call or to check on those that are homebound, those that are sick at home and not able to be here? Whose job or responsibility is it? Look, I've heard countless number of answers to that. I've heard people say it is the pastor's responsibility only. I don't think so. There's one of me, 120 plus of y'all, I can't do it all. Does that make sense? What I've also heard that it's not the pastor's responsibility. All the pastor's supposed to do is sit back and drink coffee and eat bonbons. Well, I wish that was the case, but that ain't the case either. As a member of this church, it's my responsibility, just like it is everybody else's responsibility, that if Sister Nellie ain't at church today, she is, by the way, that it's all of our responsibility to check on her. Now, I'm not telling everybody to call her because, boy, her phone will just ring off the hook. But it is our responsibility to pick a couple of folks throughout the week and just say, hey, I'm going to call, I'm going to send a text, I'm going to check on them. We've got some in our church. We've got a couple of people in our church that they take it upon themselves to send postcards out to people in times of a need and in a situation that's going on, what's happening in their lives. 
I, I, I greatly appreciate that. Y'all don't want me sending a postcard. You know why? You can't read it. You know why? My handwriting's awful. You wouldn't be able to read it if I wrote it. So it's, uh, it's, there are people that does that. What we've got to realize and understand, we all take responsibility in a spirit-empowered church to serve one another. We're not here for you to serve me. I'm, we're not here for just me to serve you. We're here to serve one another. Amen? That's how a church grows. That's how a church flourishes. That's how a church operates. We are all empowered to serve God's people. We're empowered to serve God's people. So let's take a look. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. And then we're going to also look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Let's take a look at, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 and then we'll, we'll go back into it. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, this is just a group of people in the church world, this is not devil worshipers, I know that it's spelled that way, but this is, that, this is just a group of people in the church world, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the twelve, the twelve disciples, the twelve apostles, they summoned the full number. Remember, at the beginning, it was twelve apostles and 120 altogether. Okay? They, they, they summoned the full number of the disciples. In mine and your language, it would be, I'm the pastor, and I'm, a summing, I'm, I'm summoning the entirety of the church body. Does, does that make sense? I want to put this in mind in your language. Y'all have got to realize, number one, the Bible was not written in English, right? Does everybody know that? I mean, is that? I told that to somebody, and they thought I was crazy. The Bible was not originally written in English. Did y'all know that Jesus didn't speak English? I mean, it wasn't. that's not the case. The Bible was not originally, it was also originally written in a culture that's different than ours. So there are things that do not, uh, you, you got you to gotta do a translation into our time. So this is what we're talking about. The twelve, the apostles, the leaders, they summoned the full number of the disciples. Who's a disciple of Christ? Every person that's sitting in those pews. Whether you're a member of the church or not, we're a disciple, right? Okay, they did. They, they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right, it's not right that, I'm, I'm translating this to us, okay, it's not right that I give up my prayer and my reading and my study time just to do all of these other things and you guys just sit back and do nothing. That, that's basically <laughs> what was said, okay. Is everybody making sense here? I'm not changing the word, I'm just translating it to you and I. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, we're going to pick out from among us seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we're going to appoint this duty. Verse 4. And, and then we, going back to the apostles, going back to me, I'm going to devote myself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, let's translate this for us. I'm not going to tell you that I'm not going to visit people in the hospital. I do that. I'm never going to tell you that I'm not. Now, I, there's been times people's had surgery and I ain't been able to be there. 
Brother Larry, Brother Larry had surgery uh, a minute or two ago. <laughs> I, I do remember I wasn't able to be there that day. I was out of town, and I couldn't do that. I couldn't be there. Does that mean I wasn't praying for him? You bet your bottom dollar I was praying for him. I got a phone call. This Sister Betty was in the emergency room. It was where I could go, and I showed up to the emergency room, didn't I? Her husband looked up, and he seen me there, and he said, Come right on in, Brother Andy. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? There's times that I can be, and then there's times I cannot be at certain places. Does that make sense? But I also need to devote time for prayer and study and reading in the Word of God. Why? Because that is actually my primary function in this church is to preach the gospel to this congregation. I'm the pastor of this congregation. I am also going to visit. I'm also going to pray. I'm also going to call those that are sick. I'm going to do all I can to visit the homebound. But it's everybody else's responsibility as well. Does all of this make sense? After the 120 were filled with the Spirit, they came down into the, from the upper room, and the Bible tells us, following Peter's sermon, that 3,000 souls was added to the number of believers, and God added to the church daily. Could you imagine if Coosa Valley Church of God had 3,000 people connected to it? Do you think I can visit every one of them? Absolutely not. I would, I would have 10 minutes a day to visit every person Throughout the entire year, when am I going to eat? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Are you following what I'm saying? What we've got to understand is we've all, we're all, to, to use the, the Disney song, we're all in this together. Okay? We all have to take a part. While with the numbers in the church growing, many people were trying to find food and lodging. And the apostles became heavily involved in the day-to-day -day affairs of managing donations, overseeing food distributions, and those certain things going on in the city. Y'all also got to realize, church, you've got to understand, in Bible times, they did not have the social programs that we have today. Do you know who the original, who God intended out of the Bible to handle the social programs that our government handles, the church was supposed to handle those things. Helping with food, helping with those with lodging, helping that, helping, helping by you know, with the prescriptions, helping with those things. That came from the church, not from the government. Boy, what a difference things would make if everything reverted back to that. Do y'all see what I'm saying? To that end, I want y'all to know the, the church never receives a subsidy from the from the government. Somebody thought we did. We don't receive nothing from the government. What the 12 did is they recognized that by, by, only, doing, by only managing the day-to-day -day operation, this was not effectively using their time wisely. They understood that the Holy Spirit has gifted others in the church to do a part of the ministry, and we need to allow them to do that. I cannot... Be the pastor, teach the son, teach uh, or uh, uh, sing in the praise. Uh, Y'all don't want me singing in the praise team. Be the pastor, sing in the praise team, play the piano and, and and play the drums and do that and do that. I can't do it all. That's why we have others in the church doing things. The solution is to expand ministry by recognizing and utilizing the anointing of the Spirit in the lives of others. 
Now, you've got to also realize just because you've been called or just because you help in the nursery ministry does not mean that you are the runner of the church. You're not the boss, you're not the boss of the church. Does that make sense? And that is what happens in our, in our community today. That's what happens in churches today. Once somebody's been empowered to operate in an area of ministry, all of a sudden they think that they are the king over the whole church. It's not about us. It's all about him. Amen? And what we've got to realize is, I look, I know that I tell people, and I hope you do as well, Coosa Valley Church of God is my church. I take ownership. I want people to know that, that I'm, I'm a part of that body of believers. I'm a part of Coosa Valley Church of God. That's my church. I'm proud to be a member of Coosa Valley Church of God. But I'm not the big boss. God is. Amen? Now, I know that every, if, 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 if something's going on in the church, everybody comes to me as the pastor. Because why? Because God has named me as the under-shepherd over this church. And I get that. But I want you to understand something. God is ultimately in charge. It's not mine. It's all His. If I was the nursery worker, if that ain't my nurse, I'm not over the nursery. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And y'all are thankful of that. I'm not over the teenager's class. Glory to God. Thankful. Thank you, Jesus. And you're thankful of that. Duct tape. Hallelujah. But what we've got to realize is if I was over the nursery, that's not mine. Yes, God's placed me there to do this, but God's also placed others to help in that. Does that make sense? And we've got to realize that. We've got to come to that understanding. Why? Because God has placed us all in areas of ministry. Painful. Painful, though it is for us to admit. But we're losing touch with one another. I'm thankful we've got technology. Technology helps. But technology is also ruining the fabric of life. Why? Because nobody, everybody wants to just, I love, I love texting people and, and checking on them. And I text as many as I can and check on and, and, and communicate and do those things. I love those things. But it's something about having that communication, having that one, you know, I, I, yeah, I may text Stan and check on him. But there's just something about being able to just bop him in the head sometimes. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. What we've got to realize and understand, there might be a text, but there's nothing like being able to say, hey, Stan, how you doing? We need those areas of communication. As strange as it is, the essentialness and the happiness of life is communicating one with another. Amen? Let's go on down to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 uh, through 13. 8 through 13. Deacons, this is an area of leadership in the church. My opinion may be different than others, and that's okay. My opinion is, is if you hold any kind of area of leadership, that means if you if you teach in the nursery, you're sitting in the sound booth, whatever the case is, you fall, you fall into this category. No matter what it is, you're connected to this congregation, you fall into this Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. If you're not going to treat that waitress right at the, at the, at the restaurant, and you're going to be ugly at them, please do not tell them that you belong to Coosa Valley Church of God. 
because most of the most of the waiters and waitresses in this area knows me, <laughs> and they know I'm the pastor of Coosa Valley Church of God, and I'd hate for them to tell me how bad Larry was to them. Larry's not been mad. I'm just, you, y'all hear what I'm saying. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. I had somebody to tell me, because we do background checks on anybody that has any connection with anybody under the age of 18. If you're going to be a part of that, you're going to be in a nursery worker, you've got a background check. I had somebody tell me that that's not, that's not biblical. And let them be also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons, leaders in the church, if they prove themselves to be blameless. Their wives also must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Ministry of the deacons is an important ongoing ministry in the early church as it is today. This position has to be one of a monogamous marriage, one that, uh, that their spouse is also exhibiting good Christian behavior and conduct, it also must be someone that's got a good reputation, not being given to double talk. In other words, telling, telling Stan one thing and then running over here and telling Brother Larry something totally different, that you can't do that. You've got to stand on the truth of the Word of God. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You've got to be, got to be straightforward in your answers. Good reputation, not given to double talk, not drunk, not greedy. Walk in faith with a pure conscience. Prove themselves through various ministries as faithful people known for their godly character in the community. Given in 1 Timothy chapter 3, given that men typically held this office, Paul addressed men, 1 Timothy chapter 3. However, there is biblical references suggesting that women have also held the office of a deacon. Romans chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, Paul commended that a woman named Phoebe, who is called uh, of the church, worthy to receive from the believers whatsoever she needed to accomplish the ministry. In other words, Paul commended to her that she held was also holding the office of a deacon. What ma mainly is relevant in our mindsets is, is if we're holding a position of leadership in the church, we've got to hold ourselves above reproach. Oh, Brother Andy, we're all, we're all the same in the eyes of God. We sure are, but the community don't look at you that way. Oh, Brother Andy, they shouldn't do that. I don't care. They do it anyway. Do you follow what I'm saying? What we've got to understand is we all have been empowered to preach and teach 
and carry out the gospel of Christ. We all have been empowered to carry the gospel of Christ. We've all been empowered to follow the will of God. We've all been empowered to be a vessel to be used by God. Then we need to act like the child of God that we are. The, the Bible teaches us that we are that we are a child of God. And we need to act like we're a child of God. Last couple of minutes in this. Last couple of minutes in this, I want you to think about this. Sometimes it seems that the church is more focused on collecting people in the pews more than it is sending people out into the world. However, John chapter 4 and 35 tells us that the fields are ripe for the harvest. God has empowered people with His Holy Spirit to be a witness, to be evangelist, to be a missionary. When the church grows and we sow the seeds into this world around us, we do send people out from this body out into the world. When we send people out in the world, we this is the proper biblical way to do this. If someone is called into an area of ministry and they're going to leave this body, and we've done this, there's times that it hasn't happened, and I'm going to tell you that's not biblically lining up. But when we send somebody out, we gather around them and we pray and we send them out into, the, into this world. That's the same thing was done to me for my home church. When it came time for me to leave, to go out and to pastor my first church, the body gathered around me and they prayed and they sought God over. Why? Because they want souls to be saved under my ministry. And that's the same thing that we've got to do in, this, in our church community, whether it be to teach us nursing home ministry or it means going onto the mission field, doing a work for God. Guess what? We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to be a part of that. We've got to follow the plan of the Father. As the church is growing, God is anointing people to be leaders, deacons, community-wide evangelists, global missionaries. The plan is this. It begins with the promise of the Father, holy boldness to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It may start out small, but every church launches into the ministry of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, word and deed, in the community, and beyond. Amen. Live feed, thank you so much for joining with us. Join us back in about 15 minutes at 11 o'clock for our Sunday morning worship. Remember, if you have a prayer request, text the keyword prayer to 205-642-8744. May God bless you. Join us back in about 15 minutes.